Hey, how's everybody doing today? Good, all right. Uh, my name is Eric. I get to be the pastor here. And I just want to say welcome. We are in this series called Jesus Said What? We're looking at some of the outlandish and kind of crazy things that Jesus said. Uh, here at Mosaic, we like to go through books of the Bible. So we spent our first year going through the book of Genesis. And for the last uh, 38 weeks, we've been in the book of Luke. And so we find ourselves now in Luke chapter 12. And in these chapters 11, 12, 13, Jesus says a lot of things that we're just like, what? And so Pastor Nate kicked off our series last week. He did a great job with that. Talked about uh, The Walking Dead. And so if you missed that, you can download that podcast on our website. Um, today we're going to be looking at something else that Jesus said. Uh, Jesus said, turn or burn. And we're like, What? Uh, how many of you have ever had a time in your life where you've been like really passionate about something? You know, I I've been there. I remember, you know, when I started college, it's like, yeah, you're so excited. You're so passionate. You go to that first week and you're meeting everyone and you're going to your classes. and You're like, I'm going to do this in, in three and a half years, maybe four years. I'm going to get done. You know, and then four and a half years later, you're in your second senior year and you're like, I just want to be done. That was my story, at least. And, you know, there are so many things. When we start off, like, the passion for that is burning bright. Maybe you've been in a relationship. Maybe marriage. And, you know, in the beginning, there's that white-hot passion. And then as time goes on, that passion kind of dwindles. That flame kind of dies down. Have you ever experienced something like that? I have. And so we're going to look at today, what do we do when we start off so passionate about something? And then that passion kind of dwindles down. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 49. We're going to look at what Jesus says about passion, about urgency, and how that relates to our life today. Uh, so we're going to be diving in right away. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 49. Uh, would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the book of Luke that we've been in for the last uh, 38 weeks or so. And God, I pray that this morning uh, the, the words I speak would be your words. God, I pray that you would uh, reignite in our hearts passion, uh, fire. And God, I just thank you uh, for being good. I thank you, God, that you are in control. And Lord, I pray that this morning our hearts would be stirred. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, again, if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Luke chapter 12, verse uh, 49 to start off with. Uh, you can follow along on your Bible app, on Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we have some blue ones out there. You can grab. That's our gift to you. Uh, the Bible app, you can also download on your phone for free. Um, and uh, the words will also be here behind me. Verse 49. This is Jesus talking. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? So as we're working our way through the book of Luke, I spend time praying, studying it. And this week, as I was diving into this section of Luke, I'm like, Jesus is asking, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? I'm like, of course you did. Like, Because I remember when we started off this whole journey through the book of Luke, we looked at Luke chapter 1. And then Luke chapter 2, and these angels show up to these shepherds, and they're like, you know, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men, because Jesus has come, and Jesus comes, and he brings peace. And I remember, you know, like 900 B.C., the prophet Isaiah, he's prophesying that Jesus is going to come. And what does he call Jesus? The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace. 
Like, of course, Jesus came to give peace, right? Right? That's, so I'm like, of course, that's got to be what it was. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No. What? What are you saying, Jesus? No, I tell you, but rather division. What? For from now on, in one house, there'll be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They'll be divided, father against son, and son against mother. Father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I mean, the nice thing is Jesus is saying if you have issues with your in-law, that's biblical. So (laughs) I guess it's good. But he's like, that's why I came. Uh, But seriously, what is Jesus talking about here? I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring division and fire and baptism. What is he talking about? When Jesus is talking about fire, he's talking about passion, about enthusiasm, zeal. You ever hear people talk about how you have a fire in your belly for something? That's, that's passion, being fired up for something. That's what Jesus is saying. And fire here speaks of the Holy Spirit giving us the kind of passion that Jesus had. And while here on earth, Jesus was filled with fire, passion, and zeal. Jesus' passion was to complete his mission. That's what Jesus' passion was. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write that down. That Jesus' passion was to complete his mission. His passion was to complete the mission that God sent him on earth to accomplish. And what was his mission? His mission was to live on earth without sin, to die on the cross for our place, for our sins, so that it might glorify God the Father and do good for us. So that following his resurrection, he could baptize us with the same kind of fire. That's what Jesus is talking about. He came to bring fire and as a baptism. And then Jesus did it. He accomplished his mission. He goes to the cross. He suffers. He dies. He rises again from the dead. He conquers our enemies of Satan, sin, death, the wrath of God. And he ascends back into heaven. And in the sequel to the book of Luke, the book of Acts, it tells us that when the early church gathered to accomplish their mission that God gave them, that these tongues of fire Something like fire rested on their heads of the early church. It's the Holy Spirit dwelling within us that sets our hearts afire with passion, with love for Jesus and his mission. It's that same fire that burns within us. That's the metaphor here. That Jesus wants you and I to live with passion. Amen? But Jesus warns us that not everyone is going to respond favorably to our passion. See, as we are devoted to Jesus, some are opposed to Jesus. As we're devoted to live a lifestyle that is pleasing to God, that honors him, some people are going to be opposed to our lifestyle. You need to know that if you're passionate about Jesus, he's saying that you will experience division, conflict, and strife in your life. It's inevitable. Jesus experienced it, and so will you and I. He's saying that you might even experience division and strife within your own family, mothers against daughters and in-laws. Maybe you grew up in a home that didn't serve Jesus, and now all of a sudden you're changing your whole life around, and you're saying, hey, we're going to change our way of living. We're not going to pursue the rat race about getting more and more and just taking everything for ourselves, but we're going to live a life of generosity and service and loving others. And maybe your family like, doesn't like that. They're like, uh, stop talking about this Jesus thing because they don't like how it makes them feel when you're living a life of service and love, and looking out for others. So Jesus says that when you are passionate, when you are filled with the fire of God, you and I will experience division. It's kind of like this. 
Today is a big Sunday. Can anyone tell me what today signifies today's Sunday? Anyone know? NFL football's back. Yeah, all the guys said, yeah. All the wives who don't like football say, boo. Who out there, who, what people, guys and gals don't like football? Let me hear you boo it. Wow, it was like three. Praise God. It's awesome. I pray that God would sift away all the non-football fans. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, but it's like this. So I love the Seattle Seahawks. I, I, I'm passionate about them. And I know that sometimes my passion will be met with division because, you know, in 2014, they knocked out of this team called the Minnesota Vikings out of the playoffs. Um, you know, when uh, Blair Walsh was a secret agent for the Seahawks and missed that field goal, and now he's on the Seahawks, which is amazing. And then in, or sorry, 2015, and the year before that, 2014, knocked the Packers out of the playoffs when they should have gone in the Super Bowl, probably. Um, what an amazing game. So I know, as a pastor who pastors people that probably like the Packers or the Vikings, the fact that I'm a Seahawks fan, I'm going to be met with some division. But that's okay. I'm okay with that. And even if the Seahawks lose today in Lambeau, I'm okay with that. Because um, they're going to knock them out of the playoffs this year. Uh, amen? <laughs> but the same is true. that Whatever you're passionate about, you can be met with division. Maybe one of your passions is the environment. And as you bring that up, people are going to be, you know, coming against you. Like, stop talking about that. Or maybe your passion is about health care or immigration or whatever it is. Whatever you're passionate about, you will experience division and conflict in that. Because passion creates conflicts. Have you noticed that? Passion creates conflicts. That if you are passionate about something, you're talking about it, people might be like, you need to shut up about that, whatever that might be. Passion creates conflicts. I think the question for us, though, is how do we keep that flame of passion going for Jesus and the kingdom of God? How do we keep that going, burning bright? How do you and I stay passionate towards Jesus? I believe that the way to keep that passion burning bright is to develop these spiritual habits or spiritual disciplines. That's what we spent the month of August talking about. We, we looked at four of the spiritual disciplines that God gives us. And one of the important things we said we wanted to note was that the disciplines themselves don't change us. These habits won't change us. But the great thing about spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits is they can put us into the place where then God's Holy Spirit can change us. So God's spirit is the, is, is the one that changes us. But we can put ourselves, we can open ourselves up to be more available to his spirit changing us. So we don't want to elevate these disciplines above the spirit of God. But they are great tools to help us get to the place where God's spirit can come in and change us. When I was uh, just out of uh, college, I worked at a church uh, up in White Bear Lake, it was, a, it was a large church, and we had a, a pretty large, thriving student ministry. But we had to adjust how we were reaching out and discipling high school students, just because kids were changing, uh, just how they were doing life. That's why, like, when the iPod first came out, it was brand new. I remember going to a small group of some high school students and them showing me the first generation iPod, and I'm like, I don't get this wheel thing. What is this? And it was just a whole new world. And so we said, okay, the, the large group program with the shiny lights and stuff for high school students just isn't working. So we're going to divide them into small groups, and we're going to develop these tools called habits to help them grow spiritually. And so I want to share those with you because I think maybe this might help you. These are some great habits that any of us can develop to put ourselves into the place where God's spirit can change us. Now, again, remember, this was like back in 2003, and so some of the verbiage might be a little cheesy because it's for high school students, but I still think it works, all right? So the first one, you want to write this one down. 
hang time with God. Again, high school students, right? But you need to develop the habit of hanging out with God. What does that look like? That can be different ways for different people. I connect with God uh, by being outside, by walking. That's one of the best ways that I can pray. Uh, if I'm just at home with the kids racing around, like, man, I, that's hard for me to spend time with God to pray. So i got to get outside. i got to get on my bike or walk or whatever it might be. That's one of the ways I hang with God. We talked about this uh, challenge of the five-minute challenge of meditating each day and how meditation is just the practice of spending time with Jesus, sitting at his feet. We looked at the story of Mary and Martha and how we can ask God to release things that we're holding on to, our anxieties, our worries, our fears, our addictions, and then receive from him the things that we need to receive. And how even just that, that physical act of putting our hands down to let go and our hands up to receive can be helpful because our body, our mind, our spirits, our souls, they're all interconnected. But the first is to develop that, that habit of hanging out with God. Number two, accountability. Accountability. That's a word that we don't like to talk a lot about unless we talk about, like, you know, wanting to hold, you know, Mike Zimmer accountable for how his defense uh, goes or politicians accountable. But in the Bible, it talks again and again about doing life together and having someone in your life who can ask you those deep questions. I listened to a podcast this summer about uh, huge leaders, business, church leaders, politicians who made some decisions that just wiped out their life and wiped out their uh, influence and just made a huge mess of their life. And in every single case, none of those people had someone in their life who could ask them the tough questions of, hey, how are you doing? How's your relationships with friendships with the opposite sex? Are you spending time too much with someone you shouldn't be? How are you doing with you know, your business practices? Are you being a little underhanded in how you're handling money, or is everything above board? I want to encourage you, find someone in your life. Maybe it's someone in your small group. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone else. You should have someone. It's probably going to be just one person that you can ask, hey, hold me accountable. I want to have that same relationship with you that you're doing life, that you're having those hard conversations. And that takes time. You're not just going to probably find that tomorrow. You know, maybe, but sometimes you got to work hard at that. And what I've found is that, you know, the, the older you get through life and the farther away from college, it's harder to find those kind of deep relationships uh, where you can have someone maybe of the, of the same sex as you who are asking those kind of questions. Hey, and you can share, you know, hey, I'm struggling here. Here's where I'm at. So having someone that you can be accountable with. The third one, uh, Bible reading. A couple of Churches have done huge uh, studies on, you know, people growing in Christ. And they said, without a doubt, the number one thing that helped people in their relationship grow with Christ was reading their Bibles. And we talk about it all the time, but, man, you just got to get into God's Word. It's one of the habits that is just essential, that God gave us His Word. Spend time in it. It doesn't have to be a lot of time. Just spend a little time each day. We, we, we talked about how there's 31 Proverbs, and so... Just read a proverb a day. That's what I've been doing for 2017, uh, as well as other Bible reading, but just trying to read through the proverbs every month. Just one proverb a day. Maybe if you're going to work and you have a commute, the Bible app has some great audio versions of the Bible. Uh, I like the ESV version. I just like that guy, his voice. Uh, and, but you maybe want to listen to a couple chapters of... I do. It's good. Some of the other ones are annoying. Um, but that one's a good one. Maybe just listening to the Bible on your way while you're commuting. Just get it in your head and into your heart. Uh, the fourth one, uh, involved in a small group. Uh, one of the ways to grow spiritually is to be involved in a small group. Do life. Do life with other people. Share. Grow. Uh, the fifth one, 
Tithing your talent, treasures, and time. Tithing your talent, treasures, and time. We talk a lot about just how it's better to live a life that's generous than a life that is stingy or greedy. And we serve a generous God, and so God wants us to be generous. And the tithe is just a principle of giving your first fruits, your best, back to God. And so what it looks like is when you get paid, you want to give that first chunk to God. Whatever that percentage looks like for you is you want to give your first over to God, not what's left over. Same with your time, your energy, your talents. And say, okay, God, I'm going to look ahead of the next month, and how am I going to serve you? How am I going to serve others? I'm going to set this time aside and give my best to you first. And when we get our eyes off ourselves, we get our eyes on serving God and serving other people and saying, what can I do to help? How can I serve my family? How can I serve my spouse, my kids, my neighbors? How am I going to invest the talents that you've given me to helping other people out? When we say that's our first thing we want to look at, that, that first fruit, that helps us grow and connect with God, getting our eyes off ourselves and onto him and onto others. Uh, the last one is just serving on a regular basis. Serving. It's spending time loving and serving others. It's on a Sunday morning, investing in the children back there. Let me tell you, we need more preschool and toddler teachers. I don't know if you know this, but all our kids age two up to fifth grade get biblical teaching every single week. We're not just doing like daycare back there so you guys can hear a message, but they're actually getting biblical teaching and learning Bible verses and stuff. And we've tried to make it as easy as possible for any of you to go back there and teach, even the toddlers and the preschoolers. We have free curriculum that we get from Life Church, which is an awesome church in Oklahoma, and it does the Bible lesson. And you, you, you press play on the iPad, and then you do a little craft with the kids, and you're just there loving on them. It's not like you have to teach this whole lesson. But we are looking for more people who say, yeah, you know what? Two hours out of the whole month, two hours out of the whole month, I'm going to serve kids back there. Can you do that two hours out of the whole month, serving kids back there? Maybe it's coming early, helping set up or staying late. That's some of the ways you can serve here inside Mosaic. We also have some partnerships with Mobile Hope, and Pastor Nate's going to be giving us an update in two weeks on how, how you can serve there. Uh, it's, it's a great organization doing great work in mobile, Maple Hills Estates um, mobile home community. Uh, there will be just other opportunities. How can you serve others? That when we serve others, that helps uh, have kindle uh, for the fire that God puts in our heart. See, the spiritual disciplines, they're like kindling in that fire that God ignites in our hearts. Have you ever gone camping uh, or made a bonfire in your backyard? Raise your hands if you've ever made a fire before. Have you ever sat around a fire? How many of you have ever seen a fire in your life? That's right. If not, wow, man, Okay. We got a women's bonfire coming up next month. You got to go to that. Guys, maybe not. But the ladies, at least you can go to that. But here, here's what I learned about making a fire. Uh, as a kid, I was involved in a program a lot like Boy Scouts, and we learned how to make fires. Uh, and, you know, boys, we love making fires. We love burning everything. But what I learned is that those logs, the wood, they, they need to be close together so the fire builds off each other. Now, not right on top of each other. You need room to breathe. Same with community. But those logs, they have to be close together. You need to stack them close. And once you stack them together with the right kind of kindling, then the kindling heats up and set, set a coal starts burning, and the coals heat up the, the, the logs, and the logs, they burn off each other, and you get a fantastic flame that'll burn and burn. And if you're with your wife, she'll cuddle up next to you or on a nice fire, amen, right? Fire's good. But you need those logs close together. The Christian life is like that. Community 
is stacking those logs together. It's Christians in friendship, in life, in small groups, stacking together saying, you know what, on our own, eventually, perhaps not very long at all, a single log is going to stop to burn with a flame. How many of you noticed that? Like, as a kid, you put a stick in the fire and you pull it out. Maybe it burns for a little while, but eventually that fire will go out. You can have a raging fire and there's a log in there and you pull that out. It might burn for a little while. But eventually, that that log by itself, that fire is going to go out. And God has designed us in the same way. We're designed to do life with others in community. Maybe in your life you've noticed that, that when you've been doing life with others, when you're sharing, when you're growing, those times when God's fire has burned bright in your life has been when you're doing life with others. And maybe those times when you felt like that that flame has kind of burned out to just a, a dull little coal is when you're kind of doing life on your own or when you feel alone. God has designed us like wood to be together, to burn brighter. That's what God said. It's not good to be alone. So the first thing we see that Jesus wants us is to live with white, hot passion. God wants us to live with passion. The second thing that Jesus is going to tell us is he wants for us to live with a sense of urgency. He wants us us to live with a sense of urgency. Let's read on, verse 54. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, A shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites! You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest you drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. All right, so Jesus is talking about fire and division and baptism, and then all of a sudden he starts talking about the weather. And it's like, what? Is this because, you know, maybe Jesus is like, he's been talking about fire. He's like, yeah, keep going. He's like, oh, everyone's getting really uncomfortable right now. i got to change the subject. Have you ever done that? Sometimes we do that, like we're talking about something we're really passionate about, and you can tell the person's like, I'm not interested. Stop talking about essential oils. You know, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> I use them. I love them. Praise God. But, you know, and you're like, so, the weather, huh? Is that what Jesus is doing? He's like changing the topic because everyone's getting uncomfortable with this talking of fire and division and baptism. No, I, I don't think so. Jesus is talking about weather and judgment. We're going to look at weather first. All right. When you first get your phones, how many of you guys have smartphones? I think we did this a couple weeks ago. It was like everyone but one. Praise God. Hannah, I love you. Where are you? Is she in here? Yes, the one holdout. She doesn't have a smartphone. It's awesome. But when you get your smartphone, you open it up. What's one of the first apps you don't even have to put on there? they know you want it. What, what's one of, the, what, one of the apps? The weather app, right? Everyone just gets the weather app because they know we all want to check the weather, right? Why is that? Why do we want to know the weather? Because we want to prepare for our future, right? Because to know, what should I wear today? Is it going to be hot? Is it going to be cold? Is it going to be rainy, foggy, snowy? We want to know the future, so we want to know what the weather is. Jesus is saying that some of us are almost obsessively interested in the weather in anticipation and preparation for our short-term future, but we don't have that same sense of anticipation and preparation for eternity. Are you going to heaven or hell when you die? You might say, ah, I don't, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it, but I know what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. It's going to be a beautiful day. It's okay to know what the temperature is going to be like tomorrow, but that's not the important feature that you need to prepare for. Forever, a long time. Heaven and hell 
are real. And you and I are going to die, and we're going to live forever somewhere. We need to prepare for eternity. We have some of the most ridiculous conversations about weather, don't we? Like, when we're awkward, we don't know what to say. Someone's like, uh, hey, it's kind of hot in here, isn't it? And you're like, thank you. That's why I'm sweating. Yes, you're so smart. Thank you. You're a genius. Thanks for telling me it's hot outside. Like, of course I know that, right? But people, people might even ask you, like, especially right now in Minnesota, like, right, we love fall. Don't you love that? People are like, I love fall. Fall's my favorite. I love fall. You know, pumpkin spice lattes. Have you seen Starbucks is branded it now? You walk into Starbucks or my offices, and there's PSL right there, pumpkin spice latte. It's like, whoa, this is crazy. I like fall because I call it Han Solo season. You ever notice how the ladies all of a sudden start dressing like Han Solo? They have the tall boots with leggings and vests on. Like, it's cr- now you'll see it. You look around and be like, all the ladies are dressed like Han Solo. It's true. That's fall in Minnesota. But people are like, oh, are you ready for fall? I love fall. When's the last time someone said, hey, are you ready for eternity? Are you ready for hell? I'm pretty sure it's going to be hot there and there's going to be no flip-flops in hell. Forever is a long time. So the issue is that we tend to distract ourselves from thinking about our long-term planning for an eternal future by short-term planning for our immediate future. Some of you check the weather app more than you check your own hearts. Do you check the weather app more than you check your own heart? How am I doing, God? How are we doing? What am I feeling? What am I sensing? Some of you are prepared for different seasons with your wardrobes, but you're not prepared to stand before God and give an account because you're going to live forever somewhere. So Jesus says that if you're tr- someone who's trying to figure out what to wear tomorrow, don't overlook forever. Then Jesus starts talking about judgment. Here's the cold, hard, sad fact is that you and I, we will die someday. The mortality rate is still hovering about 100%. And someday we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for every word we've spoken, for every action we've done. And our thoughts, our motives, our deeds, what we've done, what we failed to do, they're going to come back to testify against us ultimately leading to our eternal condemnation, sending us to hell. Jesus says, if you're prepared for the weather, get prepared for judgment. Whether it's hot or cold tomorrow is not nearly as significant as whether you're going to spend forever in heaven or hell. So get ready for that day in court when you're going to stand before your judge. And then Jesus shares this little interesting parable or analogy. Um, Can I get someone to help me out with this? Someone who is willing to come up here and read something out loud. Come on up, Ann. Yes, give her a hand. Thanks, Ann. You gonna hold this? All right. All right. So it's like this. Ann, you've committed a horrible crime, just something atrocious, and you're guilty. You know you're guilty. Everyone knows you're guilty, and you retain the best lawyer, Brian Stevens, and he says. <laughs> You ask me, what can I do? And he's like, you have no hope. You need to just prepare for your day in court, your sentencing. There's nothing you can do. And now imagine that day in court's coming. How are you feeling? Probably some sleepless nights, some very agony-filled days. As you know, you're guilty. There's nothing you can do. Your day in court is coming. And then, then you get a letter. And in the letter, 
The return address is that person that you've harmed, that you've done something horrible against. And you're like, man, I don't know if I want to even open this letter because I'm not sure what they're going to say. But you take the letter and you open it. And what is this letter going to say? I love you and I'm worried about you. Our day in court is coming and I know what's going to happen to you. And so I have decided I would like to forgive you and cancel any punishment or debt or obligation that you have toward me. And I'm worried about your emotional well-being, so I'd like to build a friendship with you and help you recover from this. And I think there's a way for your future life to not look like your past life. My guess is, right now, a lot of your family and friends have disowned you, so I would like to be your family and your friend. And so I'd really like to meet with you before we go to court, because once we stand before the judge and the gavel is hammered upon the desk, there's no turning back and there's nothing we can do. But it's not too late. Let's meet. Let's reconcile. Let me forgive you. Let me bless you and serve you and help you. And this is so important to me that I'll meet with you whenever works for you. I've cleared my whole schedule, and whenever you're ready, I'm going to come and meet with you. You don't even need to come and meet with me. I'll come and meet with you. Jesus. Can you imagine? How would you feel if you knew that you were guilty, you'd done something horrible, and then to receive that letter? I want to forgive you. Let's reconcile. I want to be your friend. That's the letter that God gave us in his word. See, the truth is that you and I have done more horrible things than we can possibly imagine. You and I deserve a worse punishment than we are fully even capable of knowing. But the truth is that God, by sending his son Jesus... Let us know that we're more loved, more accepted than we can possibly imagine. That God doesn't just say, you know, I want to forgive you. But like Anne read, Jesus comes to us and says, I want to be your friend. I want to be your family. Come, let's reconcile before it's too late. Thanks, Anne. You can just take that. See, you and I, We've sinned against God. And someday everyone is going to stand in that day of court. And there's no hope for us. But Jesus says, I'll die for your sin. I'll cancel your debt. I'll pursue you and love you as a friend. Please talk to me before it's too late. Please talk to me before you're standing on that day of eternal sentencing. And Jesus is compelling us toward the sense of urgency. And maybe today you're like, that just sounds way too good to be true. Because if someone has wronged me, I might let them off the hook, but there's no way I'm just going to reach out then and and then want to be friends with them. There's no way that I I care about their emotional well-being and want to, like, see them flourish and do well. The Bible says that's grace. Grace says that we are more guilty than we can possibly imagine, but we're more loved and accepted than we can ever fully comprehend. And that Jesus comes to us, that he offers forgiveness, he offers friendship. But there's a choice to say, yes, Jesus, I will meet with you. Let's be reconciled. Or 
God will let us, if we put our foot down, say, no, I am not going to bow the knee. I'm going to live for myself. God says, so be it. If you want to spend eternity apart from God, he'll let us have that choice. Jesus wants you to have a sense of urgency about this. And he wants to tell you, don't delay, don't delay. And Jesus says, I will meet with you right here this morning. He wants us to have a sense of urgency about our future. To not just worry about the weather and what we're going to wear tomorrow and fall approaching, but how are we going to spend eternity? Third thing Jesus wants for us is a repentant heart. He wants passion and urgency for what? For repentance. Jesus wants us to have a repentant heart. Here's what he says in chapter 13, verse 1 through 5. There were some present at that very time who told them about the Galileans, that's where uh, Jesus grew up, whose blood Pilate had mingled with our sacrifices. What's he talking about here? It's like this. Uh, if we were doing communion and we're receiving the juice and the bread, and all of a sudden some soldiers came in and killed a bunch of us, and our blood mingled with the communion grape juice and the bread. That's what happened. Some soldiers came into the temple and they killed a bunch of people. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans are worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No. Do you think people in Texas and Florida are worse sinners than we are because they're going through what they're going through? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? There's a tower in Jerusalem, and they were, while they were building it, it fell and killed a bunch of people. So they're like, is that because God hates them? Is God sending a hurricane to kill all those people in Florida because they're evil? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you all likewise will perish. Here's what Jesus is saying. We have two options. To repent or perish. Repent or perish. This idea of repentance is not very popular. You know what's popular? It's self-esteem, self-actualization, self-love, having passion for what I want to do in my life. What's not popular? Repentance. But repentance, Jesus says, is the only alternative to perishing. What does he mean by perishing? Dying and spending eternity apart from God, apart from all that is good, apart from all that is light and holy and love. Let me challenge you. When you start thinking about repentance, don't think about all the people who have sinned against you and how they need to repent. How do we need to repent? We've talked about this a couple times now. The, the Hebrew word for repentance is teshuva. And it's this idea that we've been out walking around in the woods and, and we're going on this beautiful hike and all of a sudden as, as we're going through life and as we walk through the woods, we, we look down and we realize we've left the path. And then it's that moment of saying, oh, man, I've wandered away from where I'm supposed to be. And teshuva is turning and going back to where I'm supposed to be. And repentance is this beautiful gift that God gives us. To, when when the, God's Holy Spirit comes in and, and opens our hearts to say, wow, here's where I have wandered off the path from where God wants me to be. Now I have a choice to keep going deeper and deeper into this mess. Or, oh, God, you're right. I have wandered away from where you want me to be. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go back. That's what repentance is. It's turning from your folly and your sin and turning around and going towards wisdom and back towards the way of God. And I want to be clear about something. Repentance is, is not just something you do to become a Christian. It is, 
But it's not just what you do to become a Christian. It's also what you do to grow as a Christian. It's not just a one-time thing of saying, God, forgive me for everything I've done wrong. Now I'm good. I'm never going to repent again. See, the reality is while we're here on earth, we're never going to reach perfection. That as we walk with Christ, we're, we're walking with him, we're talking with him, and then all of a sudden we get distracted by that squirrel over there, and we start walking away from the path, and we, we, we look up and we realize, oh, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. God, I need to repent. I need to come back over here. Repentance isn't just what you do to become a Christian, but it's the way we grow as followers of Christ. Martin Luther, the famous Reformation pastor, when he nailed those 95 theses onto the door of the church in Wittenberg, he opened it up by saying this, all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. All of a Christian's life is one of repentance. That the way of following Jesus should be, we should be continually and constantly bending the knee before God, our king, our leader, and saying, you know, God, I have messed up again. God, I have not been the loving husband that I know you want me to be. I'm sorry, help me to be better. God, I have snapped at my kids, and man, I'm sorry, help me to do better. You know, I've wandered away. Uh, in different areas of life. But the beautiful thing is that God invites us back. We can always turn and come back towards him. And repentance involves three things. I'm gonna share those uh, in my closing here. What is true repentance? The first one we see, it's confession. And we're gonna see how these three things affect our mind, our emotions, and our actions. Our mind, our emotions, and our actions. The first one is confession. Confession is the mind agreeing with God. It's as you read the word of God and, you, and your eyes are open and you didn't realize that what you were doing was sin and you realize, oh, wow, God, I realize that what I've been doing, how I've been living is not in line with the way that you've designed me, that you've created me to live. And now I realize that I'm wrong, that you are right. It's the mind changing. Paul tells us in one of his epistles, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Some of you might need to read the Bible more and listen less to what culture says. And that leads to your mouth. Out of your mouth comes words like, God, I'm sorry, I was wrong, it was evil. It's not your fault, God. There's no excuse. There's no one to blame but myself. I stole, I lie, I cheated, I committed adultery, I hurt you, I was bitter, I was angry, I was self-righteous, I'm guilty. And to confess without adding the word but. <laughs> But you know, God, those people, they, were, they really messed me up. You know, they were, you know, I had a bad childhood, but, but I didn't know any better. But I, no, <laughs> just get rid of the butts. Just a period. God, I messed up. I'm sorry. No blame shifting. And fathers, husbands, let me just encourage you with this, is that we should be the ones leading the way in repentance and saying, hey, I messed up. I'm sorry. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength to apologize to your wife, to your kids. We shouldn't demand our kids to say sorry to us and our wife and, and us not to lead the way in that. We can model that in our homes. Leaders model it of saying, you know what, I'm repenting of this. I have not been acting the way that God has designed me to act. I'm sorry, I'm gonna do better. The second step is contrition, contrition. This is your emotions. In our mind, we confess that we're wrong and then in our hearts, we are sorry. How many of you, sometimes maybe you acknowledge your sin, but you don't really seem bothered by it? See, contrition, the definition is sorrow and detestation of sin and what a true, with a true purpose of amendment arising from a love of God for his own perfections. It's this feeling, this acknowledgement 
I'm a sinner. It's coming before God in prayer, maybe as we sing, and just say, man, God, I have messed up. As, as I've spent time in your word, as I've prayed, and as your, your teaching has illuminated my heart to show me where I have fallen short, renew my mind, break my heart for the things that break your heart, that as we align ourselves more with God, our hearts will be more like his. King David, the giant slayer, became king and then he messed up royally by sleeping with a woman who was not his wife, depending on how you interpret it. Perhaps he raped her. And then he confesses. And then he shows contrition by saying, God created me a clean heart. Because he wants his heart to be aligned with God. It's, I don't think it's enough to just say you're sorry. But it's to feel it in our emotions, in our hearts, to feel the way that we've let God down. That is the path towards true repentance. And finally, change. Ultimately, it includes change. It's saying, God, I was this way, and now I'm changing to be this way. I'm confessing my sins, my mind. I'm gonna have a contrite heart. I wanna feel the way I've messed up. It doesn't start there, but then my actions, my deeds, I'm going to change. I wanna be more the way that you want me to be. You want your future to not look like your past. You don't want to go back. That as you are going this way and you turn and you teshuva, you repent. You say, I'm going a new direction, a new way towards life. Repentance, it's confession, it's contrition, it's change. I'll close with this, that repentance, my friends, is a gift. Repentance is a gift. Not everyone gets to repent. You have to repent to become a follower of Jesus and then you repent to grow as a Christian. But repentance is only made possible through Jesus and his death on the cross. Apart from Jesus, there is no true repentance or forgiveness. There's only perishing. For those of us who are Christ followers, what a great gift. For those of you who are not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to give you this opportunity right now to respond. To say, God, I have not thought much about my eternity. But Jesus says, before it's too late, turn. Turn towards Jesus. Kind of every eye closed, every head bowed. Maybe you haven't thought much about your eternity. You haven't thought much about what's going to happen after you die. But Jesus encourages us to have a sense of urgency about this. To say, God, I need to make things right with you. If you're at this place where you have not yet bowed the knee towards Jesus, that you have not received the forgiveness of God through Jesus and his death on the cross, the Bible says that we are at odds with God, that we are enemies with him, and we stand under judgment, under the wrath of God, and we deserve death and eternal separation apart from him. But Jesus says it's not too late. Come, reconcile, repent, and the free gift of God, his grace, can help us we are forgiven of our sins and we become friends with God and he helps us to grow and be more like him. This morning, if you would like to repent, to be reconciled to God, just join me in this prayer. God, I am a sinner. I've messed up. I'm not perfect. Please forgive me. 
I no longer want to be the leader of my own life. It's not working. Jesus, be my leader, my savior, my God. Forgive me of all the wrongs that I've done and welcome me into your family. Amen. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, if we believe in our hearts, if we ask for forgiveness, that he will welcome us, and that's grace. And this morning, if you made that decision, it's not a special prayer that saves you. It's the act of repenting and confessing. It's Jesus' death on the cross that makes the way for us to be made right with him. It says that we are welcomed into his family, and we can be confident and assured of where we're going to spend forever. I'm going to write the band up. I'm going to close with this. That passion follows your purpose. I don't think you can know your purpose until you're reconciled with God. And if you are lacking passion, you need to discover your purpose. And I believe that the path to finding your purpose is through repentance. See, society tells us to live for ourselves, to pursue what we want to do. And that leaves us living a life that's all about us. But God designed us to look outward, to look up towards him, to look out towards others. And I believe that first step is repentance. You want more passion in your life? Practice repenting. Come to God and confess. Come with a contrite heart. Let him change you. And as he refines you in the fire of his holiness, God will reveal his purpose, and then he'll ignite a passion in your heart. We're going to spend some time as we close with what we call our response song. This is an opportunity for all of us, whether we are followers of Christ or still exploring the claims of Jesus, to take a moment and to pause that what we've just heard out of God's word, God, how do I apply this to my life? If you feel like that fire of passion has dimmed in your heart, I want to encourage you. Perhaps what you need is to come to God and repent. I believe the pathway to finding our purpose is through repentance. And God, in his amazing gift of love and grace, he comes and he forgives us. No matter the little things we've done, the huge things we've messed up, no matter the way that people have sinned against us, whatever we've done, whatever people have done against us, God welcomes us. He says, come, come. You can find forgiveness. You can find hope. You can find healing. The pathway through that is repentance. As we repent, as we confess, as we seek to change, God reveals our purpose. Our purpose is to live for him, to make a difference in this world, how he has uniquely designed each one of us for a purpose on this world. God didn't design us just to, you know, go to school, get a job, retire someday, and then die. God wants more for us. God has a purpose for your life. As we come to him, as we repent, he will reveal that purpose. And then, as we know our purpose, our passion will be ignited. Let's be a community that is quick to repent, a community that we know our purpose, and a community on fire with passion for God and how we can make a difference in this world. 
But if we try to if we try to make a difference in our neighborhoods and our communities, if we try to make a difference on helping people in Florida and Texas on our own strength, we're going to burn out, we're going to lose it. We need to be ignited by the fire of the Holy Spirit inside our hearts that will fuel us to doing those deeds and accomplishing what God has for us. As the band sings, um, sometimes we do this. I want to invite the prayer team to come on up. And uh, would you guys just stand down here? And the Bible tells us to confess our sins one to another, and that can be a scary thing. But maybe you need to come forward, and you need someone to pray for you. And just You don't have to get into specifics and say, hey, I need someone to pray for me. I've messed up. Maybe you have something going on in your life that you just need someone else to bear that burden with you. I want to encourage you, come forward. Come to the altar of God to receive grace, forgiveness, to have someone pray with you. Let's all stand together. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that Jesus came to bring fire, that he encourages us to have a sense of urgency about where we're going to spend eternity. And God, for your grace, that you allow us to have the gift of repentance, to confess, to feel sorry for what we've done, and God, to change. God, we don't want to be the same people that we were yesterday or last year. God, we want to change. We want to be more like you. We want to be different. We want to be more loving, more grace-filled, filled with bigger faith. God, we believe that you want to do amazing things in us and through us, that you have a purpose for all our lives. But God, we know that starts with repentance, with confessing, with letting you illuminate in our hearts the, the things that we need to change. So God, I pray that during this song, you would speak to us. You're, you would illuminate where we need to confess, how we need to repent. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come on down. And again, no one is going to judge you. No one is going to think any less of you if you come forward and just ask someone to pray for you. Uh, let's sing. Let's pray. Let's confess. Let's meet with God.